Thank you, Kali. Um, let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a joy indeed to uh, sing out to the Lord, especially thinking about his uh, grace to, to bless us, uh, show us of blessing we need, and just realizing that we are beholden to him um, in everything, and we depend upon him and rely upon him with our lives and um, even our possessions. Uh, let me take this time to um, to welcome Nancy Beck. <laughs> she's not uh, alone. She's coming with uh, a bundle of joy. <laughs> uh, Ethan, uh, in addition to, to the church, um, <laughs> yeah, such a blessing to... Um, to even experience the, the, the blessing of a child being added to the church. And as well, Nogutula. Nogutula is uh, Nancy's uh, um, niece. Uh, Nancy's niece. She looks like uh, Nancy, and a lot of times I think sister. Uh, Nancy's niece, and then well, welcome, Nogutula. Welcome as well uh, uh, to uh, memory. Uh, I forget, but uh, my memory uh, is strong. Uh, and I see a brother um, on, on the side. Uh, what's your name, brother? Samuel. Oh, my namesake. Uh, welcome to Samuel, and uh, may God bless you as you fellowship with us. Get to know Samuel, get to know Nogutula, and um, welcome them. And remind them that uh, God loves them and cares for them. So um, we continue here, and then this is the last, actually, of our installments of sermons on Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're looking at the subject of prayer, and uh, this is the conclusion of the prayer. As um, maybe you are thinking in your mind that uh, this is actually not the conclusion of the, the prayer, because um, when you read in older versions of the uh, scriptures, you'll find that the last is actually a doxology, a word of praise that says, for thy is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Actually, when you read from um, those uh, Bible versions, you might see a, a, a footnote there that those last passages were implied uh, by, the, um, by the scribes as they were copying down the, the copies of the scriptures. And um, they put down those words because um, these prayers especially because it's it's um, scholars say it's focused it's 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 based on the shadik the 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 jewish prayer and so um the jewish prayer had a doxology at the end but um, um early manuscripts um which is what we have here in the esv in the nasb hcsb and other um uh, translations of the bible um that are based on earlier um and and more clearer manuscripts of the scriptures show us that the prayer actually ends in verse 13 with uh let us look at god's word i'm gonna read the whole uh prayer from matthew chapter 6 verse 9 up until verse 13 and we continue with God's word for us this morning. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
and as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is the word. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our Father and God, we, we bless your name. Bless your name for your word, for your grace, and for your care for us. We pray that you will honor your word by speaking to us in this morning, by drawing us to yourself and encouraging us, warning us from your word, correcting us, training us in righteousness that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. May your name be honored in our midst as we declare your word. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Now, now behind this petition, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, it is a keen awareness that the Christian life is a battle. That we as Christians are in a battle field. And furthermore, it is an acknowledgement of weaknesses and inadequacy in ourselves. The, the hymn, All I Have is Christ, captures this most vividly in the third verse of the song, um, second line, when it says, The strength to follow your commands could never come from me and with this realization as the worshiper approaches God the attitude is that of wanting to cling to God with all the might that he provides J.R. Parker wisely points out that in our comfortable routines of life we, we do not think of ourselves as being in danger but we should because we are Listen to how this uh, prayer from the Anglican Book of Prayer provides insight here. It explains uh, what deliver us from evil uh, means. It, it explains it into five distinct petitions. And among the, the evils specified side by side uh, with circumstantial troubles are, are these ones. The prayer goes like this. From sin, from the crafts and assaults of the devil, from all blindness of heart, from pride, vainglory and hypocrisy, from envy, hatred, and malice, and all uncharitableness, from fornication and all that is deadly, and from all the deceits of the world, and flesh and the devil, from sudden, unexpected, and unprepared for death, from hardness of heart and contempt of thy word and, and commandment, good Lord, deliver us. J.I. Parker continues to explain that the deliverance we need um, is not only mainly uh, from adverse circumstances, but from spiritual evil within us that makes both adverse and favorable circumstances its springboard for, sec for, 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 for attack. And I want us to notice from, from this uh, prayer here, as, as these words in verse 13, I want us to notice two things. I want us to first to notice the danger of sin. And secondly, I want us to notice the preserving grace of God. Let us look at the danger of sin. Look at the first part of this prayer. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now in this prayer, uh, what, what, what is happening here is that Jesus is inviting us to, to come to God 
and to pray, lead us not into temptation. Right? When, whenever we hear these words, a lot of times the, the, the question that first comes to mind or that springs out of our minds is, does God lead his children into temptation? Right? Does God tempt us? Right? We, we ask ourselves that question. What is the answer to that question? Obviously, when we look at the scriptures, the answer to that question is God does not tempt us. He does not tempt his children. Look at the testimony of James in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 13. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So it is clear from God's word here that the, the, the idea here is not to suggest that God causes temptation or God brings temptation. But what is happening in the prayer here is, is realizing that we are asking for protection from God. Right? Let me explain it this way. Track with me um, in this line of thought. The Greek word used for temptation here does not necessarily mean inducement to evil. It is a morally neutral word that can mean to make trial of, try, tempt, prove in either a good or a bad sense. In fact, it's, it's hard in our contemporary world to understand this word in this way because in our contemporary world, we have separated the two words, right? The word test has its own meaning and the word temptation has its own meaning. But here, when you look at the Greek word, it's actually the same word. And, and, and to, to translate that word in the Greek and to see um, which, which, um, which angle it's going to is that we, we look at the context. We look at the, the context decides what the word actually means. And in this context, what we see here is that it is talking about protection from temptation. Now, the scriptures testify that God does test our faith, right? We, we must realize that God tests our faith. In James chapter 1, verse, verse 2, um, James calls Christians who are facing trials of various kinds to, to count it all joy. And the reason behind counting it all joy when they face uh, various trials, um, trials of various kinds, is that they should know that the testing of their faith produces steadfastness. Uh, Peter joins in the chorus and, and, and says to the exiled Christians in, 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 in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, who were, who were grieved by various trials. He says, this is so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Do you see that God does test us, Right? He tests our faith. And the reason he tests our faith is either to strengthen our faith or to win us off a sinful lifestyle. But we must also notice, on the other hand, that the devil uses temptation as an opportunity to harm or render the faith of Christians useless. Let me give you an example with Job. Right? Uh, um, remember... Job was a faithful man before God. He, he was faithful to God and he walked in uprightness before God. And so um, 
God says to Satan, have you seen my seven Job? And Satan makes uh, this argument with God and says, it is because he has all these things. Right? He has all these things that he's faithful and he walks upright before you. And God gives Satan the permission to do what? To, to test uh, 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 Job. And, 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 and listen to this. God was testing the faith of Job, but Satan wanted to do what? To destroy the faith of Job. Right? And so when, 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 when Job is in the midst of that trial, even the wife comes and says, curse God and die. Right? So there's always, when, whenever we go through trials, trials have a potential of turning into temptations to curse God. Right? To question God. To doubt God. Whenever we go through difficulty. And so that's, that's how a test from testing our faith turns into a temptation to destroy our faith. And this is the prayer that, uh, that, that the, 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 the worshiper here is praying. He's saying when we go through tests of our faith, lead us not into a, 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 a life that where we would, we would succumb to the temptations of Satan to um, forsake our faith. Right? John MacArthur explains this petition, lead us not into temptation by writing this. He says, I affirm with Chrysostom. Chrysostom was an early church father. Um, and, and he says that the solution to this issue is that Jesus is here not speaking of logic or theology, but of a hard desire and inclination that caused a believer to want to avoid the danger and trouble sin creates. It is the expression of the redeemed soul that so despises and fears sin that it wants to escape all the prospects of falling into it, choosing to avoid rather than having to defeat temptation. Here is another paradox of scripture. We know that trials are a means for our growing spiritually, morally, and emotionally, yet we have no desire to be in a place where even the possibility of sin is increased. A Christian knows the danger of sin, right? And does not seek to open a small door for its entrance. Because when sin enters, uh, when sin takes a finger, it wants the whole hand. When you give uh, sin a finger, it wants the whole hand, right? Um, let me explain the, 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 the danger of sin in this way. A, a shocking story of how an Eskimo kills a wolf illustrates very well the danger of sin. Listen to the story. <coughs> First, the Eskimo coats his knife with, with animal blood and allows it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and, and another until the blade is completely concealed with frozen blood. Next, the, the hunter fixes his knife in the ground with the blade up. When a wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he, he starts to lick it, tasting the fresh frozen blood. He begins to lick faster and more and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the, the keen edge is bare. Feverishly now, harder and harder the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes his craving for blood that the wolf does not even notice the razor-sharp sting on the, of the naked blade 
on his own tongue. Nor does he recognize the, in, the instant at which his insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own blood. His, his carnivorous appetite just craves for more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. The wolf continues to lick that blade without even noticing that the blade it is licking, it is killing it. A, a Christian who is keenly aware of the danger of sin does not flirt with it, does not open a door for it, does not give a foothold for it, but he hates it, he fears it, he flees from it, and is grieved by it. A Christian does not play with sin. The story is told in, in one of those uh, Aesop's uh, tales <coughs> of, a, of a young man who went up on a mountain, and when he gets to the top of the mountain, it's, it's frozen, and he sees a viper uh, a, a very uh, poisonous snake and the snake is is freezing to death As, and the snake looks at the young man and says wrap me around your belly and take me down uh, from this mountain because I'm freezing and I'm about to die and the young man looks at the snakes and says you are a snake you are going to kill me uh, the snake says to the young man I promise I will not kill you and then the young man then uh, uh, believes the snake and takes the snakes, <clears throat> wraps it around his belly and goes down and puts it down. And then the snake starts to recover. Um, it doesn't freeze anymore. It looks at the young man and it immediately bites him. As he falls to the ground to his death, he looks at the snake and he says, you promised not to bite me. The snake looks at the man and says, you knew what I was before you took me. In the same way with sin, right? We know what it is. We know that the wages of sin is death. We know sin separates us from God, but we still pick it up and think that the, 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 there will be different results this time. But yet every time, sin destroys our relationship with God. And so here... A Christian is keenly aware of the dangers of sin and prays out to God and says, lead us not into temptation. And not only that, we, we realize not only the danger of sin in this passage, we also see God's preserving grace. God's preserving grace. What follows after praying, lead us not into temptation, is an awareness of the preserving grace of God. And so we pray, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. The word deliver here can be translated loosely as pull out or, or carry out. It implies on the part of the worshiper inability. It implies weakness. There's a recognition that if God does not intervene with his preserving grace and deliver, we are left to ourselves and exposed to the dangers that are even beyond us. The, the, the thing from which we seek deliverance here, when you look at the passage, is evil. <coughs> Excuse me. Many commentators suggest that the word evil 
should be translated the evil one. In other words, referring to the devil. It should read, but deliver us from the evil one. But it's, it's surprising that when you look at the Greek word uh, here, it is more nuanced than that. And so should not be confined to just referring to the devil. The more appropriate translation that covers evil comprehensively is the evil thing and not the evil one. So, so, so comprehensively, it is referring to the world, it is referring to the flesh, and it is referring to the devil. Right? Let me explain this in this way. The world, the Bible says, all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, right? And again, the flesh, um, the Bible says the flesh wars against the spirit, right? It wars against the spirit. And again, the Bible says the devil is, thank you, Mama. <coughs> the Bible there says the devil is a deceiver, right? He's cunning. He wants to destroy. He wants to kill. He wants to steal. And so this word the, um, e that is translated evil should, should be translated the evil thing, comprehensively covering evil. <clears throat> the, the idea of this sentence is a recognition that we are unable to deal with evil by ourselves, and so we need God's um, help daily. John MacArthur says, in a cursed world where we are bettered by evil all around us. We confess our inadequacy to deal with evil. We confess the weakness of our flesh and the absolute importancy. Um, importancy is, is, is um, weakness, right? Absolute weakness of human resources to um, combat sin and rescue us from its clutches. Above all, we confess our need for the protection and deliverance of our loving Heavenly Father. In other words, we should also notice that here, this prayer is not a let go and let God kind of prayer, right? We, we hear it a lot. That the, the, <clears throat> Technically, it is called the, the Keswick uh, theology. The Keswick theology says you must let go, and, and it's very famous, uh, let go and let God. But that is not biblical, right? The, the, the biblical description of, of this prayer here, what we see in this prayer is that we pray and we work, right? We pray and we work. We pray and we act. In other words, um, before I, I, I go into this, let me give this illustration, that <clears throat> you cannot pray for an exam. You say, um, God, I want to pass this exam. Give me the ability to pass this exam and sit around and laze around and until the exam comes and things that, think that things are going to come in your mind without you having not studied, right? You pray and you act by studying, right? In fact, um, a man uh, who was a preacher used to preach and then one, he, 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 he didn't care at all about preparation. And one day he, he, he was invited and and they asked him to prepare on a certain subject. And he said, no, I'll not prepare. He said, you better prepare. He says, no, God will, will give me the word when I stand on the pulpit. 
And when he gets on the pulpit, he starts and then he opens his Bible and he's waiting for God. And God says to him, you are lazy. You are lazy. That's the word for today. So, so, so in other words, we, we do not just pray. We do not just uh, uh, let go and let God. But we, uh, we, 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 we commit to God and commit to honoring God with our actions as well. In, our word, in other words, <clears throat> while we pray for God to lead us away from temptation, we are to take the necessary steps to avoid evil. We, we must make no provision for the lust of the flesh. We, we should structure our lives so that it is harder to sin. In other words, if you struggled with, with drunkenness, you cannot chill in a bar saying you were, you were only wanting to play pool or watch soccer. In, in, in this case, you, you go, you, 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 for you to go to the, to the bar, what you are doing, you are availing yourself to the attack of sin. You are putting yourself in the line of temptation. It is to walk into the lion's den and thinking nothing will happen. To, to pray to God saying, lead us away from temptation while you are not actively avoiding temptation, is to install a strong security system in your house, but not activate it and leave your house, your, your doors and windows open in a high crime community. You didn't do anything, right? You just installed it and never activated it, left the doors and the windows open and went to sleep and think nothing will happen. We must remember that the Bible tells us to flee from sin, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, to make no provision for the flesh, Romans 13, verse 14. Our lives should be structured in such a way that it is hard to sin. I'm not saying we cannot sin, but I'm saying that we, our lives must be structured in such a way that it is very hard to sin. It is hard to fall in sin. If, 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 if you were sexually immoral before you came to Christ, you don't put yourself in a situation where you can fall, right? You don't put yourself in a situation where you are in the four walls with a person of the opposite sex without no one keeping you accountable. We should make sure that we are taking the necessary measures to prevent sin from happening, that we are not giving sin a chance to grow and to flourish in our lives. I love what uh, Daniel Doriani suggests here. He suggests a practical solution to, to moodiness and irritability, which is, the, which is, by the way, sin as well, right? Being moody and being irritable is sin. He says this, he says children become irritable when they are deprived of sleep, but so do adults. So if we are prone to foul moods, we should do more than pray for a sweeter disposition. We should get more sleep. Right? We, we structure our lives in such a way that it will be hard to be moody. It will be hard to be irritable. We, we put ourselves in those situation when you know you you are prone to be moody when you are prone to be irritable get more sleep get more sleep 
as a husband, when you know that your wife is prone to be irritable, make sure that you don't say things that make her irritable and moody. Help her. Right? We are to, to help each other to grow in holiness and, and, and sanctification. So this is when, when we are Christians as, as, as a community as well, we are to be a community that steers each other to love and good deeds and, and we, we, we draw each other closer and closer to Christ. We, we don't create situations in which there will be conflicts that arise that cause sin, right? We want to dissolve conflicts. We want to help each other walk in the ways of the Lord. We want to help each other walk in the way of holiness and, and sanctification. When we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we must realize that we're praying that we will not fall in the dangers of sin but we are also relying on God to help us not to make opportunities to fall into those dangers of sin. God has made a provision for us. When you look at God's word in 1 Corinthians, I want to close with this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, I'm still hearing the, the, the Baptist icon, the icon of the Baptist as they open the, the Bible. <laughs> Anyways, um, if you found it, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall <laughs> just maybe just to, 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 to put a pin on that you should never think that you are too strong to withstand temptation you should never think that you can put yourself in a situation where uh, um, you, there's proneness and there's, there's a, a, a chance of sin to thrive and think that you will never fall Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Listen to this. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right? In every temptation that we face, there's always a way of escape. The problem is sometimes... We don't want the way of escape. We think about the way of escape after succumbing to the temptation. And in moments of temptation, of great temptation, whether it be anger, whether it be immorality, whatever it is, God has given us a way of escape. And we should take the way of escape. Right? We should take the way of escape before we succumb to any temptation. May God bless you as you hear his word, as you apply his word, and as you walk in his word. Amen. Well, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we can draw near to you and pray to you these words of the Lord's Prayer. 
We can adore you, confess our sin to you, come to you with thanksgiving, and bring our supplications before you. So, Lord, we, we thank you that you are a God who hears us. Your ear is not dull. Your hand is not short. You are a God who knows us and who answers prayer according to your grace. May you glorify your name in our lives as we seek to walk in the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.